Hi, everyone. Welcome to Name Drop San Diego, where we feature interesting people in, around, and from San Diego. I'm Christy Totten, and my guest today is Sean Van Diver. Sean is a Navy veteran and the co-founder of the San Diego chapter of the Truman National Security Project. He's hyper-involved in San Diego and sits on a ton of boards, including the San Diego Convention Center, Veterans Community Connections, Downtown San Diego Partnership, and the Public Policy Committee for the San Diego Regional Chamber of Commerce. Sean is also a member of the San Diego Union Tribune's Community Voices Project. It's a really cool project where community members weigh in on San Diego issues. And I haven't even mentioned his day job, but we'll get to that in the interview. Here's my interview with Sean Van Diver. Well, Sean, thanks so much for joining me. To begin, would you give me just a short bio, sort of the way that you describe your own life stories uh, for our listeners? Sure. So uh, I'm a Navy veteran. Uh, I've Lived in San Diego for about 20 years. I got here when I was 18, and I'm about to be 38, so that math checks out. Um, and uh, I like to, it, I mean, depending on the situation, <laughs> I describe myself differently, right? But really, look, I'm a, I live in San Diego. I'm a, I live in Claremont, and uh, I am a co-founder of the Truman National Security Project San Diego chapter. I serve on the board of the... Um, of the San Diego Convention Center, uh, the San Diego Downtown, or the Downtown San Diego Partnership. Uh, I'm on the policy committee for the San Diego Chamber, and I serve on the board for Veterans Community Connections and Emerge California. That kind of like ties up all my extracurriculars. And then uh, I work for a major national consulting company as a client relationship executive, which means I kind of uh, connect our government clients at the state, local, and higher ed level and, and federal level to the experts and uh, and uh, fixes they need for their most vexing problems. Yeah, you know, you're so involved in the community. It's really impressive. Why did you choose San Diego, you know, as your home and as the place to get involved? Oh, sure. So uh, I chose San Diego because San Diego chose me. Uh, uh, when I was in the Navy, I served from 2001 to 2012. And uh, there we go, let's new Zoom thing here. So when I was in the Navy, I served from 2001 to 2012, and I joined from Bakersfield. I grew up in Bakersfield, uh, you know, sunny, beautiful beachside Bakersfield. <laughs> uh, and uh, I I'd kind of gotten myself into a little bit of trouble when I was in high school. I went to uh, the Grizzly Youth Challenge Academy twice, which was a boot camp for bad kids in San Luis Obispo. And the second time I went, I turned 17 while I was there. And the Navy recruiters started coming, all the recruiters started coming around. And I thought I was going to go into the Air Force. And uh, it was October, right after the USS Cole had been bombed. And, uh, and we went to MEPS. And like two days before we went to MEPS, I decided that I really wanted to be in the Navy. Um, and the Air Force was going to give me a bigger bonus. But the Navy offered me an opportunity to kind of see the world and, uh, uh, and get an education. And all the, you know, the Air Force offered the education as well. But... I thought the Navy would offer me an opportunity to have more adventures. Plus I like pirates growing up. Uh, <laughs> so, so I joined, I signed the online. My mom had to drive up from Bakersfield to the MEPS in LA, the military entrance processing station in LA. It was my first time I'd seen her in forever. And uh, she signed to let me go. Uh, and I was in boot camp by February 29th, 2001. I was a leap year. And so I'll never forget it. And, um, and, I was in the middle of my, I was wrapping up my uh, A school, which is our initial training. 
Um, I'm going to say that again because I was opening a Red Bull. Uh, I was wrapping up my A school, which is our initial training, and 9-11 uh, happened. And it totally changed the course of my life, as it did everybody's. Um, I was 17 years old. I'm watching it from the break room at uh, Fire Control in A school, which means uh, I, I had gone through and I'd selected a rate, which is your job in the Navy. I had picked fire controlman. So I meant that I got to shoot missiles and guns and, and all of that stuff. And um, I thought it'd be a cool thing to do, uh, be lots of fun. And I was like on the last week of my training. Uh, about a week later, I got sent off to Millington, Tennessee to be a base police officer. So I'm 17 years old. I've got a badge and a gun and a squad car, no driver's license. Um, and, uh, and the base had a fence that was about thigh high for a uh, average size human. So uh, it was uh, quite, the, quite the experience. Uh, I then got transferred back, uh, I got transferred out to San Diego where I went to my C school, which is, it, that's how you decide what, uh, what system you're gonna work on. So I, I worked on the Mark 92 fire control system and I was really lucky to get stationed here in San Diego after that training. Um, so I got on board the, the USS Thatch did a whole career there and various other locations. I was an instructor, an emergency manager, did another ship, did the Aegis weapon system. And I ended up getting out of the Navy kind of unexpectedly. Um, I marched in the 2012 Pride Parade. And mind you, I was a single parent this whole time. Uh, I was a single parent from 2008 on. My son's actually turning uh, 13 years old the day after this airs on Wednesday, the 11th. And, um, and I was a single parent and, and uh, that was a really interesting experience to have. Uh, I marched in the pride parade. We were allowed to, the, the Pentagon signed off on it. And I upset some folks at my command that were not super into that. So, um, you know, long story short, I ended up out of the Navy about a year later uh, after some back and forth and some, some uh, I'll keep my language friendly here, some, some suspicious activity. Uh, but I got out honorable discharge uh, and I went to work for PlayStation. And so I, yeah. That's amazing. I know, uh, and I'll tell you, so I did all of the academic stuff that I was supposed to do while I was in. I did my bachelor's, my, my associates, my bachelor's, my master's, and I did a, uh, um, it did a uh, graduate certificate from the Naval Postgraduate School. At that time, enlisted people could not get degrees from the postgraduate school. So I chose to do that. Um, and uh, I did all the things I was supposed to do. I kept my LinkedIn super updated and I'll be damned if LinkedIn didn't get me a job on my way out of the Navy. I'm, Amazing, <laughs> shout out to LinkedIn. Yeah, that's right. So, so I started for PlayStation right before they launched PlayStation 4 and I got to go and do all of that. And you know, I thought I wanted to move to DC. Um, and then I kind of looked around and realized that San Diego was, that's where I had all of my, my family, my, my, um, my like chosen family and my mom. And, uh, and I didn't really want to leave this place. And I was getting involved in San Diego politics and really, uh, really thought that there was something special about this place. So it's 20 years later and I'm here. Yeah, totally agree. There's something special. Well, if you don't mind talking about it, I wanted to ask about your experience in high school. You know, I always think it's amazing when people have, you know, just a rough time during adolescence, get into trouble and really turn things around as you have. So what was going on with you then? And, and how did you uh, turn it all around? Sure. So um, 
I think you could consider me a, uh, a cliche. Um, you know, my dad was, my dad was kind of a, a bad dude, uh, growing up and he wasn't around. Uh, my mom, I was born in Springfield, Illinois, and my mom moved us away from him because he was getting out of jail and he was a violent guy. He was violent with her. And, um, and she did the right thing and got me out of a place where I would have been known as his son and I would have had not, not a real shot. And so she got me out of there and, uh, and she worked really hard to raise me growing like all in Bakersfield, all grown up. She worked, she didn't go to college. Um, she worked for banks and, and built a nice career for herself. But, uh, you know, I was, I was a kid that, that had a lot of energy. It was all thrust, no vector is what you might say. So I had a lot of energy, but not a lot of direction. And my mom did her best, but I was trying to get involved in a bad crowd. In fact, people that were a lot like my dad. And, uh, and she saw that happening and she would put me in therapy. She, she did everything she could. And what we landed on was after I got kicked out of my first high school, um, I was getting into fights and, and doing just dumb kid things that I shouldn't have been doing. Um, we landed on going to Grizzly Youth Challenge Academy. And the first time I only lasted a couple of weeks and the second time I made it almost all the way through. I, I never made it through. Um, but luckily I'd enlisted in the Navy at that point. So I, fun fact, I have a GED and a high school diploma because um, they offered taking the GED while I was at Grizzly Youth Academy. I'm like, sure. Um, and then I finished my high school and like the, I had like to take one PE class to graduate. And I, and I did that right before I shipped out for boot camp. And, uh, and the Navy really straightened me out. In fact, people on my first ship really straightened me out by, I mean, what really happened is at Grizzly, I learned that I thrived with structure. I thrived with a lot of structure and that would really work for me. So the Navy provided a lot of structure and I had a I had a chief and and a first class petty officer who helped me out sometimes verbally sometimes physically it was a different navy then um, and uh, and it really did I, I really am a whole different human um, I liked I like to achieve I like to go out and do stuff uh, and the navy kind of offers all of that right there's so many programs that you can do there's so many navy enlisted classification codes you can get there's so many jobs you can do in the military so if you're interested in a lot of things. You can do that. So I, I, I learned that if I, I got bored, I got in trouble. And, uh, and yeah, high school was rough for me. And it wasn't like, I wasn't the most popular kid. I was mad about whatever. Um, and it was good that, you know, I, I grew into a man on the USS Thatch in the Navy. And it, it put me on the right path. Yeah, I mean, it's clear from, you know, what you're saying, the Navy has done so much for you, sort of setting you on the right path, giving you these opportunities, but it sounds like your departure from the Navy was a little bit disappointing too, right? Like you were standing up for something you wanted to do, it didn't go over well, uh, you know, with higher ups. I mean, how how do you view that? Does, does it take anything away from the time you spent there? I will say that marching in the San Diego Pride Parade in 2012 was the best decision I ever made. My mom raised me around a bunch of LGBT folks, when the opportunity came, uh, when, when I was joining the Navy, my uncle Chris uh, said to me, and I agreed in like passing, not thinking it was a big deal. Now I recognize it was. Um, he said, I need you to look out for all the, the LGBT folks. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Like in my brain, I'd always been raised around the LGBT community and I didn't even think twice about it. So when one of my, uh, one of my friends 
told me at the bar at, uh, at Hamilton's Tavern, we were, we were sitting there and it was these two senior chiefs. They said, hey, did you see that uh, sailors can march in their uniform this year in the Pride Parade? And the previous year, folks had been able to march wearing a, the, the name of their service on their shirt. But in 2012, folks were allowed to, a lot of people worked really hard, including Fernando Lopez at uh, the executive director of Pride now and, uh, and council member Stephen Whitburn, who was then the executive director of Pride, worked really hard to make this happen. So I went out there without a thought, wore my uniform and, uh, and I did, did not really, I did an interview with my first media hit um, and I had the PAO there. It was fully allowed. I didn't do anything wrong. I get back and I got like screamed at. And then I didn't even think anything of it for six months. They sent me back to, to Dahlgren, Virginia for training but something had changed. I'd always gotten really good marks. I'd always um, gotten really good evals. I came back and I got the lowest eval on the ship, lower than the guy who was charged with domestic violence. And I was shocked. I was blown away. So I asked to see the captain. Uh, we went back and forth. He, you know, I, I don't want to get super deep into it, but like we went back and forth and we disagreed. So I filed an appeal. And then all of a sudden I had to start working late. And, um, and it was clear what was happening. And uh, I knew that I would be able to, I knew that the big Navy would have to make a decision on whether or not I could stay in the Navy because we were more than 12 months outside of my end of active obligated service. That was in, it was in January and February. Well, then May rolled around and um, uh, I learned that I would be getting out on May 31st. I didn't get official notification until the night before. Um, and, you know, I felt like an organization that I dedicated my life to, an organization that I loved, was being, and the values that we are told we hold deal on, dear, honor, courage, and commitment. Those are the core values of the Navy and the Marine Corps. And, and we take them seriously. Um, I felt like I wasn't treated, being treated very fairly. And I, like, I'm a straight white guy, right? Like not, I, I had never experienced something like that. I had seen it or I had thought I had seen it, but I'd never really experienced it. And it really opened my eyes. And I'm ashamed that it took kind of something happened to happen to me to, to realize it. But, um, but, you know, I, I had a, my son to worry about. And so I was, I didn't want to get out. Not yet. I was planning on getting out a year later. And so um, I ended up getting out honorably when the, you know, when they wanted to discharge me and, uh, and I ended up getting a severance, severance pay. And I had access to the base for six months um, in medical care for six months, access to the base for two years. And, uh, but it changed me. And that's why I got involved in, in, uh, in politics. And that's why I got involved in, in advocacy. Um, because I think it's really important that if we say we embody values like honor, courage, and commitment, that it applies to everybody. And I thought that it did. Um, I learned that it, that it didn't. And it was really, and it's not the Navy's fault as a whole. It's, you know, there, there's some, you know, everybody depends on the leaders that are selected. So, um, that guy ended up getting relieved unceremoniously after uh, after an incident with a drone, or a drone hit the ship. Um, and I moved on, but it is kind of one of those formative moments for me. Um, and uh, and after a couple of drinks, I can tell you the more the more detailed, <laughs> but maybe not for maybe not for the audience. Um, but yeah, I mean that's why. And, and then four years later, one of the coolest things happened. Four years later, I got to bring then. You know, I got involved in various organizations and it developed quite the political network. Uh, four years after that 
Pride Parade, I got to bring the first openly gay uh, army uh, secretary to San Diego for Pride, show him around my, my hometown. And, and Eric Fanning is, remains a really good friend and just a wonderful human being who showed up um, and, and boldly led on as, as the first. And the first is always the one that catches the most shit. So he, um, he's a brave guy and I really appreciated him coming out. It was a, a really cool moment for me. Yeah, that's a great end to that story. I mean, just just quickly, how would you rate the job the military is doing now when it comes to LGBTQ rights? You know, and, and for, for allies as well, you know, people like yourself. Look, the reality is that it depends on who's in charge. It didn't used to be that way, but now, or it didn't used to be that way so, so publicly and flagrantly. And uh I think there's a lot of good folks at the Pentagon now and in the White House uh, and in ranks all throughout doing a good job on this. Um, but it doesn't matter what a commander thinks if the White House is telling you that you have to throw people out based on who they love or you know, how they identify. Um, but I think the future is bright and I think the, uh, there's a lot of good folks uh, in the Pentagon running around right now who care about these issues and are gonna keep pushing them. Uh, Sean Skelly, in particular, just got uh, just got confirmed. There's there's folks all over the place in Washington, and and I mean, look, the reality is on the ground. At least when I was in, so I'm sure that it's gotten even better. Nobody cared who you loved or what you how you identified. They just cared that you could have their back. And you know, these are political games that get played, and and it would be better if we didn't play political games with people's lives. I want to get a. Uh back to your career a little bit, but first we have a lightning round, just some very random questions I've jotted down before the interview. <laughs> um, and so the first question I have here is, what did you have for breakfast? I didn't actually. <laughs> that is a very common answer. I used to work in radio. And so like to do the sound check, you always ask, what did you have for breakfast? And you, you know, I think in the olden days, there was like a sentence yeah. there, but most people say coffee or nothing. And it's really not a good sound check question anymore. Have you eaten today? I hope you have. It's like, Late afternoon at this point. I've not eaten yet, but I will shortly. <laughs> okay, okay. I've been we're, running around. We're going to get you out of here quickly so you can at least have a snack. Um, what is your favorite spot in San Diego to take visitors? Ooh. I really like Tacos El Gordo. I like to take folks to, actually, no. My favorite spot is to take people across the border so that they can see that this is a binational community and that border wall is just a speed bump for us. We really... No, like nowhere else in this country, we operate as a binational community. And, uh, you know, I don't think of San Diego, I don't think of the San Diego Tijuana region as 3.5 million people. I think of it as 7.1 million people, uh, San Diego and Tijuana. What is a show or book that you've watched or read recently that you're really into? Oh, uh, Ted Lasso, which is, I, it feels like a cop out. Everybody's watching it, but don't we all need some some good feelings in our life? My wife and I are watching it together now. All right. What is your favorite? What was your favorite toy as a kid? Ooh, I had this stuffed animal named Tony that Ryan has now somewhere. My I have a thirteen year old named Ryan. That is so cool. Okay, uh, let's see. Is there anything on your bucket list? Something that you just haven't been able to do yet, but you you definitely want to do? I have been all over the world. I've never been to Europe. All I want to do is go to Europe. I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> so I want to take my son to Europe as like a boy's trip uh, because cool. my friend Will Moore does that with his kids, uh, with his son. 
I was like, man, that's a good idea. Shout out to Will Moore. Yeah. Well, what are your stops going to be in Europe? Uh, definitely Amsterdam or Dutch. Uh, I want to stop through London. I want to stop. Ryan really wants to go to Paris. Um, I definitely have to go to Portugal. I have a friend who owns a bar in Portugal, um, in Kashkais. Uh, I could spend a long time naming these cities, but I will not. Awesome. Well, I've been to Amsterdam and it's one of my favorite places. People are so friendly and it's so beautiful. So uh, I hope you make it there soon. And just final question in the lightning round, you know, what is a motto or just an ideal that you try to live by? Be a good human, right? Like live in reality and be a good human. We've, we've got a lot coming at us these days. And uh, I have a hard time abiding notions that don't exist in reality, right? These, you know, we see anti-vaxxers, we see all these, these things coming at us that are just simply not true. And I'm here for, for any sort of political discussion with the baseline of living in reality and being a good human. I agree with those mottos. Okay, I want to ask you about your Twitter bio, which oh. I find to be very um, entertaining. Uh, so it says, relationships guy, quote, aggressive friend, quote, not much of a heads up guy, <laughs> quote, seems sharper than necessary. Can we sort of go through those and you tell me the just quickly the backstory? So relationships guy seems pretty straightforward. You, you sure. like to make connections in the community. Well, nothing gives me greater joy than bringing a disparate a disparate group of interesting people together, especially if I can cook for them, uh, to have a meal, have a drink, and get to know each other and learn more about each other, and 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 who knows what opportunities pop up. Um, nothing like nothing gives me greater. And I'm lucky I get to do that for a living. I get to be a relationships guy for a living for my company Deloitte. I um, I handle relationships with state and local government. Uh, here in Southern California. So LA, San Diego, and kind of everything in between, and then cities throughout California. Um, so I get to work with people who work in local government. I'm really passionate about local government. And I get to kind of bring, bring my existing friends to the table and make new friends so we can uh, make California a better place. Aggressive friend. Uh, so Melanie Cohn, who works for Biocom, which is based here in San Diego, it's, a, it's like a chamber of commerce for, bio, for the life sciences industry. Uh, she and I went to high school together and we didn't know each other. Um, my wife, Stephanie Benvenuto, introduced us early on in our relationship and Mel and I became like BFFs. And she one time described me as an aggressive friend because I am, I am excited. Uh, whereas Steph and, and, and Mel and a lot of my friends, I try to surround myself with people that are mellow and like take me down a notch. <laughs> and, uh, and, but like, I love my friends. I want to do stuff. I want to bring them in on things. I love working with my friends. Uh, I love sharing opportunity uh, with folks I care about. So she calls me an aggressive friend. <laughs> I love it. You do seem like- I have something for you to do every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you do seem like a 200% friend. Um, okay. Not much of a heads up guy? Um, I'm a little spontaneous. Uh, so at my company, we have this thing called business chemistry and we kind of describe people on, uh, it's about interactions. And we talk about um, like my archetype, there's four archetypes. My archetype is pioneer driver, which means I am like, you put me in front of a whiteboard, I want to do that. Um, I want to like think big. I don't like to have an agenda. 
want to do bold stuff and I want to do it now. Um, kind of on the on the other side of that is I'm not great at like long-term planning. I can do it. I sit in front of me. I love to have a spreadsheet and like do it. But I'm I sometimes show up in DC for a work trip and I have all my work stuff lined up. But like socially, I won't line up my friends. Right? I'll let them know when I'm there. I'm like, hey, I'm here. How's it going? <laughs> so uh, somebody said, you're not much of a heads up guy, are you? <laughs> I love yeah. it. And final one, seems sharper than necessary. That too seems self-explanatory. Uh, sometimes I'm not as uh, careful about, I, like I'm very blunt and I don't necessarily like sugarcoat or soften my language when I'm trying to get something in. I don't mean anything necessarily negative by it. I'm just like, hey, this is the, this is where we're at. Let's, let's move forward. And um, I had like a whole, I one time was doing a social media post and I ran it by a friend and they said, uh, like a lot of things, Sean, this seems sharper than necessary. I was like, oh, <laughs> grab that. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that kind of sort of directness and to the point and always try to keep in mind with people. It's like, I think personally, right. Most people mean well, Right. And it's like they, they do have good intentions. They don't mean for it to come off this way. So I think, you know, giving people the benefit of the doubt usually works for me. But um, well, let's talk about the Truman Project. So you are the co-founder of the San Diego chapter. Why was it important for you to uh, bring that project here? Sure. So so Truman is a I'll first talk a little bit about what Truman is um, and was when I when I joined um, and then kind of how we came to be here. So uh, when I was in Dahlgren. Uh, for training uh, way back before I was out of the Navy uh, in 2012, my friend, Sarah Adela, who I also went to high school with, told me about, like we talked about like what I was passionate about, you know, I may get out of the Navy in a few, in a couple years and like, what do I want to do? Maybe something in politics, maybe something, you know, just something fun and exciting. And she said, you've really got to check out the Truman Project. It's a, it's like national security for Democrats. I'm like, okay, well, I wasn't really comfortable joining while I was in the military, even though you can, it's allowed. Um, I looked it up as soon as I got out and uh, we didn't have a chapter here in San Diego. So I applied for the Los Angeles chapter. Um, I got selected and I was sitting at Mr. A's with my PlayStation colleagues when I found it and I like cheered. And as I look back, I don't know why. I didn't really know what it was beyond like <laughs> a cool group of people. It, it was really hard to explain. So after nearly eight years as a Truman Project member, I the way that I describe it is a center-left national security community with kind of three cohorts, uh, policy folks who are like really smart, but maybe can't tie their shoes because they're so smart, or, and they certainly can't talk to humans, um, political people who are really like movers and shakers in the political world and, in, and kind of on the Hill or, or in, in offices all across the country, whether they're staff or elected, and then pointy tip of the spear types, like military intelligence community, uh, diplomats, kind of NGO folks who are at the, at the front end of the policy. Um, and if you put those three types of people around a table, you can solve for almost anything. So um, when I was in DC for orientation, it was the first time I was in a room full of military people that I felt like I was at home. Folks who shared the same values as I did, folks who cared a lot about their country and folks who wanted to make the world a better place and also believed that, you know, we have to, that, that national security is a function of not just uh, hard defense, but also diplomacy, democracy, and development. And that 4D approach is kind of what, what Truman takes. And so um, 
at that time, there were 14 chapters all across the country. Uh, I went up and told the CEO at the time, like, I'm going to start a chapter in San Diego. He's like, okay, sure you are. Um, and so I came home. I asked the headquarters staff to connect me with anybody in San Diego that was a member. There were a few people. Some people didn't want to engage. But there were a couple of people who really did. And that was Janessa Goldbeck and Kristen Kavanaugh and Maddie Miranda. And uh, the four of us, I have a picture of, the, of a few nights before we did our big kickoff. And um, our, I have a picture of the night that we actually kind of all got together and talked about like, what do we want this to be? And, uh, and we all decided that I would kind of be the, the worker bee and I would be kind of out front doing it. They were kind of already all established. And Janessa was in the Marine Corps and she was going off to deploy and Kristen was, uh, had a big job and then, then she left to go work for Tesla. And then Maddie moved off to DC. So I was kind of the, the guy here. Um, and what we wanted it to be locally was an organization where the organization doesn't do much, but it's a community where folks can let their hair down and talk about issues of shared interest. Um, and in San Diego, we've done a really good job of building up an influential group of folks, uh, electeds at every level of government. Um, we've got staff at, at most levels, including a bunch of folks uh, at City Hall and all, kind of all across government here, folks in the military, folks in the business world and folks in academia. And, and, but the underlying theme here is that we all care about each other. We all show up for each other. And that's the magic is that we all show up for each other. And we're, we're interested in, in lifting each other up and, and helping each other succeed. Truman's not about what can I do for me? And that's what we ask in the interviews all the time is, yeah, it's neat that you can get all of this from Truman, but tell us what you can give. And we want to know what you can give. And that's what we look, we look for folks that are kind of folks that are interested in giving more than they take. And so I could list off big wins locally or nationally, uh, but I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. I will say that one of the coolest things that I've gotten to be a part of, uh, being a part of Truman was the effort to open all jobs in the military to women. It's called No Exceptions. Janessa was a big part of it. A woman named Kristen Hyduke was a big part of it. She's back in DC. Um, the, uh, the executive director for California Strategic Growth Council, Lynn Von Koch-Liebert, uh, was a big part of it. She was back in DC at that time. There's a lot of folks that were involved. Um, and it was an incredible uh, thing to kind of just have a backseat to. We did the Iran deal. We did special immigrant visas, getting interpreters from Iraq and Afghanistan over here. We, we've been involved in a lot of things. That, but none of that kind of matters if you can't, if, if the people that you're surrounding yourself don't care about you. Um, actually, tonight I'm going off to have drinks with the, one of the founders of Truman. And, uh, and I'm so excited. I'm, I'm going to take him to, uh, to downtown San Diego and kind of show him, show him uh, what, it, what downtown looks like from the top of a building. And we're going to have some drinks and have a meal and it's going to be lovely. Finally, I realize we're, we're kind of running out of time here, but I know that you love local government. And so I was wondering, just, you know, here in San Diego, what are some issues, you know, going on that you're paying special attention to that you're super excited about or just sort of targets that San Diego needs to hit in your opinion? So a few things. One, uh, the absolute most important thing that we have to do right now is housing. And it's a simple math problem. We need more housing uh, and everybody has to do their part. and um, Every time we have a big housing development come in, uh, we hear from neighbors around there, the loudest among them, that, uh, that we believe in housing, but just not here. And I frankly just have a hard time 
hearing from folks that have have gotten theirs. They've been able to afford a house here in San Diego. Um, and they don't care if other people can. I want my kids, Daphne and Ryan, to be able to live here when they grow up. And if we don't build hundreds of thousands, a uh, hundred thousand units here over the next 10 years, we're in trouble. So housing is one of those big issues that I think transcends party lines. Is that actually, it appears to be generational. Young people would very much like to be able to afford to buy a house and have the American dream. And, and folks that have already kind of done that don't see, I, I don't think they understand how expensive it is to own a home here. It's just staggering how expensive. My, we bought it, Steph and I were finally able to afford a home at the beginning of the pandemic and it has gone up 25% in value since then. And that's just unsustainable. The second big issue that I think is really important is how we get around, how we connect to each other. So Sandeg has five big moves and it's really exciting to see what Hassan and the board's vision uh, is for this region. Um, I think tied into that is the, uh, is the central mobility hub and the NAVWAR project that's going. And I think we have a real opportunity there. We have a real opportunity for the Navy and the city to really work together. And you know, I, I love the Navy, the Navy made me who, my, who I am. One of the things that the Navy does not do well is, um, one of the things that, that the Navy traditionally has not done well is really partner with local government in a way that shows that uh, they, they care. And you know, they show up to stuff, but they haven't, they haven't been good, solid partners. And I think that's changing. It seems like that's changing. Um, so what I would hope to see with this project is, uh, is that the Navy gets their building. And I'd really like to see the federal government do their part in California's housing crisis. Um, and that means maybe, maybe there's housing built on federal land by the feds that then uh, gets land swapped over to local government. And uh, you know, there's 350,000 defense jobs in, the, in San Diego and we need 100,000 houses. I think it would be great to see if we can come up with a, with a solution together to, to kind of build that. And then finally, um, it's actually a California issue, I think. Uh, look, it goes back to housing. If any other disaster happened where this many people were displaced, an earthquake, a, a, a terrorist incident, a fire, a hurricane, whatever it is, we would, we would be requesting a disaster declaration, we would have FEMA on the ground, and we would be having services wrap around. So I would love to see that happen. Um, and of course, as a board member of the convention center, I really care about tourism. I wanna to see tourism come roaring back. I wanna see San Diego compete with places like Vegas. Uh, so I'd really love to see, I, personally, I'd really love to see the convention center expand. We've got to get that thing done. It's so important. And, uh, and we, we can't compete for the biggest and best shows unless we do that. And those dollars that come in uh, will help pay for things like nicer roads and, and um, fixing our stormwater and more housing and all, you know, all of the things that we need uh, to keep San Diego competitive as a big city. I'd say the underlying thing that I really care about is I like it when we do big city shit. The election of Todd Gloria showed us that San Diegans want us to do big city shit, and I'm so here for it. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Name Drop San Diego. If you like what you heard, please subscribe on your favorite app, share this episode on social media, or tell a friend. Your support means a lot. And if you know of someone in San Diego you're interested in getting to know a little better, I'm always looking for suggestions. You can drop me a line at christy.totten at sduniontribune. That's K-R-I-S-T-Y dot T-O-T-T-E-N at sduniontribune.com. Looking forward to hearing from you and thanks again for listening.